Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. <laughs> um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Take Graphs, a Major League Baseball show here on the Chase Thomas Podcast each and every Wednesday evening, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, everything school HQ up there in New York City, not Fangraph's own John Taylor, whose 37th birthday is today. Happy birthday to John Taylor. Yes, I am officially older now. Um, mm. I now am the same. I was I was going to look this up on Baseball Reference, be like, who is my age or older? Mm-hmm. Um, I know they have a thing of like birthdays today. I know I share my birthday with Jackie Robinson, which which is a cool one. Yeah, uh, Nolan Ryan also. That those are the two I I I just know off the top of my head. Um, but I I can never remember where on Baseball Reference you can find like um, like today's players born today or whatever um but that thing oh, I here did... we go. born on this day all right uh, i got cole irvin for that there's no it's on, i found it on baseball reference i've got cole irvin okay guillermo heredia tommy la stella uh unesky betancourt that's a great one uh josh johnson bob apodaca mark ballinger mm. and oh ernie banks is the other hall of famer born today that's, that's always the one i always forget uh, my apologies to to Ernie Banks. Uh, and from the 19th century, Tex McDonald, Steamboat Williams, Stuffy mm-hmm. Stewart, Goat Cochran, Rasty Wright, Pinky Hargrave, and Honey Barnes, also born on January 31st. Oh, and a guy named Ted Power, which is just a great name. Ted I am, Power. I'm officially the same age as Melky Mesa and Caleb Tealbar. So if I, I ever see Melky Cabrera and I'm like, there's zero chance really this excited. man is 37 years old. 
um, if I ever do run into Caleb Tealbar before he retires, I'll be able to be like, hey, birthday twin. And he'll be like, I don't care. Probably. Hey. Well, happy birthday, nonetheless, sir. Thank the mid-30s boys logging on here on this very program. Full-ass late-30s over here, but... I don't know. You're still mid-30s, man. You got another th- solid three years here of That's your 30s. True. I got don't three wish more, your life away. Three more full years before I hit the dreaded uh, four zero. There's no dreaded, man. I love yeah, getting I was older. Gonna say, I, I don't really dread it. it. It's just, you know, it's you're, you're supposed to or whatever. So Yeah, I don't. I like Roll would on. you I'd rather be in my thirties than my twenties. I don't know if you feel the same. I I I think I agree with you. Yeah. Um well, John Taylor, we are going to talk about things that other major league baseball fans might prefer because they go back and forth on this. Um and I may I I might uh, assume based on what happened this week because I sent you a text where this was one of the weirdest sto- like places for this story to break and I just feel like it has to be the take graphs take of the week is um the state of the Orioles ownership group the fact that we are wondering if the private equity <laughs> new owners is an upgrade because of what the Angelos family has currently done and. P- we both figured to continue doing over the next couple of years with this uh, loaded, loaded young core. We don't know, but it's never a great sign when like the baseball community is like, this is a weird situation of like, is this an upgrade? Like in no other context in no other team would you be like, this is awesome. Like we really lucked out here uh, getting some pi- private equity uh, billionaires involved to own our baseball team for the foreseeable future. Um, I don't know. I mean, John, you've had some time to think about this a little bit. What mm-hmm. what should Oriole fans be feeling about the Angelos family uh, gradually selling off their team uh, to private equity? So, and you're right. Like, you never really want to hear the phrase private equity connected to something that you care about or want to remain solvent. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone who's in the journalism uh, industry in particular knows about that one. Um, but I think on the whole, this is probably a good thing for the Orioles because it's hard to imagine, and uh, famous last words, monkey's paw, whatever. It, it's hard to imagine how things could have been worse from an ownership perspective than John Angelos, who very, very clearly did not give even the tiniest of a crap about the Baltimore Orioles, about fielding a competitive Orioles team, about spending the money necessary to make that happen, whose only real ambition with the Orioles seemed to be, how much money can I get in exchange for the Baltimore Orioles? Um, And I think some of this, you you know, we we had the the back and forth over the course of the 2023 season when it seemed like, oh no, Angelus is going to sell them. Oh no, he's going to move them. Actually, he's not going to sell them. Oh no, now they have a lease. Now they don't have a lease. You know, in retrospect, it looks like all of those moves, the the talking up of, ne- of not leaving Baltimore, the very hurried kind of lease that they signed uh, with the state of Maryland, the way that the team's finance has been arranged, it really, in retrospect, does seem to be to try to have set everything up for, the, for a sale so that the sale will be as painless as possible. And in retrospect, you know, looking at team payrolls so that Angelos could make the highest, re- get the highest return on investment here and turn the biggest profit when he did actually sell the Orioles. Because again, nothing of what he's done as an owner has, has suggested that he actually cares about either the Orioles or even about baseball really at large. You know, this just seems to be, and I think this is, this is the case with uh, a lot of owner fail sons, and there are many, many, many of them. 
is that baseball was Peter Angelos's interest. That was his passion. He wanted to own the Orioles. He wanted to, to be the owner of a baseball team. But that his sons, or at the very least John Angelos, because the, the other son, Louis Angelos, is, is one who has been, uh, over the last few years, pushed out, essentially, of team ownership by his own brother, uh, along with um, their mother, uh, whose name I forget, but she's also been kind of on the opposite side of things. Um, it, it's pretty clear that baseball is not an interest of John Angelos's in, in any real capacity. It seemed like the only thing he really cared about with regards to the Orioles was, can I secure the kind of real estate deal that the Braves got and that other teams have, have explored or gotten that will allow me to turn a profit on essentially Camden Yards itself and the surrounding area? And now looking at it the way everything has played out, it seems like getting that lease set or, or signing that, agreeing to that lease with the state of Maryland to continue using Camden Yards was mostly about so it could be passed off to new ownership and be like, okay, everything is set up so that you can take care of that if you want to. But it's pretty clear that Angelos had no real interest in, in trying to make any of that happen himself. So on that, on, with that in mind, I think getting rid of an owner who very clearly doesn't care is, is I think, a good thing. I think mm -hmm. if you're an Orioles fan and you also want to be on the positive about this, you know, you can say, you know, private equity is a leech vampire misery that sucks the use out of things to as a in, in service of, of pure profit margins. But and, and great, we don't know because we have we have, we do not know exactly how the Orioles are going to be run. If it's just that, you know, the guys, uh, the, the new owner, um, uh, what's his first name? His last name is Rubenstein. I can't remember. His it's Rubenstein. Name. And he was part of the Leonis group who was trying to trying buy, to buy the, the Nationals. Which I think, which I think uh, makes, um, which I think lends even more credence to the whole, you know, getting the Orioles ready for a sale. Because what happened with the Nationals is the, in particular, the the dispute over uh, Mason, over Mason, yeah, and, mm. and the payments and rights through that really seems to have thrown a huge wrench into into buying the Nationals because nobody wants to buy a team where one of the theoretically largest revenue sources, which is to say the money you'd be getting from a cable network dedicated to your team, simply isn't going to be coming in or it's going to be coming in less or, or, or whatever. David Rubenstein is his name, by the mm. way. Um, he comes from the Carlisle Group. Um, obviously, you know, again, you do not want private equity in charge of the things you love. But I, I think if you look into it, there are some positives you can feel like. One is that the, this, this team is being sold for... Uh, just over $1.7 billion, mm. which is a substantial sum of money. Obviously, Rubenstein is not putting that all up on his own. This looks to be some kind of ownership consortium. I've seen uh, some of the names are known. Cal Ripken, uh, mm. Grant Hill, uh, the owner of the Washington Spirit, the uh, NWSL team in Washington. Uh, there are a few more names thrown in there, I think. So it's going to be a group effort, I think, with Rubenstein as the lead backer. And that's becoming more common now because it seems like there's a lot less cash on hand ownership changes Michael where Bloomberg, they're having uh, to. Yeah. Michael Bloomberg also in that group. And, and Bloomberg is probably the richest of them all. I mean, he, mm. his net worth is in the high billions. But um, and the best case scenarios, like because the Dodgers guys are private equity guys. Right? I was going to say, and, and similarly, Peter Seidler, when he bought the Padres, was coming from a private mm. equity background. And I think, yeah, with, with San Diego and Los Angeles, you see the best case scenario for this kind of thing. Yeah. So someone who takes over who got rich through private equity, but does not necessarily feel the need to run a sports team like a private equity fund. that they He wants to run it as a fun thing. You, yes. you don't want it to be an asset. <laughs> yes. And I think what especially makes me feel like that will probably be the case are two things. One is the fact that Rubenstein is from Baltimore. Yeah. He's not an outsider coming in who just is like, oh, I have an opportunity to buy a baseball team. Fun. You know, this isn't mm. like it's a Mark Cuban were to buy the Orioles. 
which I, I'm pretty sure Rob, I'm pretty sure Rob Manfred would one murder Mark Cuban before letting that happen. But um, th this is someone who ostensibly at least cares about the Orioles, thinks of them as a civic institution and wants them to both stay in Baltimore and be uh, an, an object of pride in Baltimore, particularly given mm -hmm. that the only other, you know, you know, Baltimore is only a two sport town. It's them and the Ravens. So, you know, there is, there is obviously room, especially given how good the Orioles are and particularly given how little has been invested in them, that it really would not take much of an effort financially to make the Orioles better. You know, that there, there's not, it's not as if you're taking over from the Steinbrenner family, for example, with this long track record of success and financial investment. You're taking over from a guy who point blank just did not care. Uh, the other side of it is that Rubenstein is in his 70s. You know, this is not, this is not a 45-year-old private equity guy who is just like, I want to make my money for the future. This is a guy whose future is already set. You know, he, he, I'm presuming that, you know, given that he has enough money to afford to purchase a baseball team, that David Rubenstein is not going to be in any kind of financial straits between now and, and the end of his life, barring some kind of major financial collapse in, in the world. And at that point, what, what, you know, the fate of the Orioles is probably the least important thing. Um, this doesn't feel like, like the Orioles are just being used as an investment vehicle. I will note that almost certainly Camden Yards in the area around it are an investment vehicle. And I think that more than anything is going to be uh, the focus for this new ownership group is into developing that area. But I think that also uh, all of the Braves with 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 their new stadium in Cobb County, the Cubs mm. with everything they're doing in Wrigleyville. But I think that can also probably be looked at as a positive because if they can figure that out, then there's no real need to treat the team per se as if it is the main kind of financial object in all of this, the one that has to deliver a significant return on investment or that has to keep turning a profit year after year. The real estate, as we've talked about before, real estate is the single most important thing now for for a great number of these owners, if not all these owners, and for and for their baseball teams, so long as the real estate side of things is producing, then the team itself there should be no issue in investing in. And I think you've seen that to a certain degree with the Braves, with Liberty Media, you know, a first an ownership group that really did not seem to have any interest in spending, but once the stadium situation got itself resolved, and once they were able to put all that money into a what, what is that complex area called, Bricktown or something, Stonesville, Rock Rock City. The brickyard, the, the the whole complex around around the White Flight Stadium. In where? In Atlanta. Oh, the battery. The battery. Thank you. I don't yeah, know yeah. why. It's like bricks. I thought you already said the battery, and I was like, "Are you talking about a different?" I'm like, "What is John talking about right now?" Or, I don't really the... ever know what I'm talking about. Well, I thought but... you were talking about the battery. Like that was the whole thing, and I was like, "Is what part of the battery is he talking about?" I'm like in my head, I'm like, "I don't know what he's get. I don't. I haven't heard of this." But the sense I get is that once you set up those revenue channels from excuse me, from non-baseball stuff, from yeah. the real estate, or in the case of, like, say, the Dodgers from uh, foreign investment or selling advertising rights, you know, with stuff like, oh, now we have Shohei Otani, so we're just going to be the go-to, uh, we're, we're going to make a mint in Japan now from all, the, from all the attention and merchandise and all that stuff. That's when it feels like, okay, now the money spigot is turned on for the team. Because there's ostensibly, there's not ostensibly, there's really no way you can go broke owning a baseball team. Yeah. You cannot lose money. And for proof of that, look at the fact that the Angelos family bought the Orioles in 1992, I want to say. Mm -hmm. uh, no, not 1992. Uh, 1980... Was it 87? Something around that. Whenever it was. It was like $117 million or something. $173 million. Mm -hmm. They're going to make 10 times <laughs> that amount of money in return. Granted, a little too late for Peter Angelos, who is very clearly 
um, not in any position to make. Well, any he's decisions. faced he faced out a while ago, right? Like he's yeah, been he, faced there, out for a while. There's some very serious health problems with yeah. him. I, I would wager he's not involved at all in the day to day decision making or operations for the Orioles. But again, there's no way to lose money when you own a sports team. Mm-hmm. And I think if the new ownership group comes in with that mindset of look, all the hard work in some ways has already been done for us. There's a great farm system in place. The stadium situation is more or less figured out. If we want to do some extra stuff, I don't think it would take much to get either the city of Baltimore or the state of Maryland on board with any of that. The, the, the right palms need to be greased and the right uh, people need to be made happy. But that's the rich can always find a way to do that. You know, this is as good an opportunity in terms of buying a baseball team as you can. And it would be shocking to me to see someone come in and be like, well, actually, I think I know how to run this better and, and make this even better. Because th- that's the funny, the simplest way to make the Orioles better is just to spend the money that John Angelos didn't want to spend. And it seems like, again, if you're willing to be, if you're David Rubenstein, you're willing to pay the money that the Orioles cost, and you're willing to, to now take on this task too of developing the area around Camden Yards more fully into something closer, like I said, to the Battery or, or, or Wrigleyville, you're going to make money hand over fist. You know, this is a passionate devoted fan base that cares very deeply and is like the level like the level of attachment they had even when this team was just the flat out worst thing in the sport an embarrassment day in and day out and now to be a hundred win team favorite to win the division you know stellar rookies everywhere and all you need to do is be like oh well i guess we can sign max scherzer too or whatever the equivalent is you know Mm. so I i think if you're an orioles fan i would feel cautiously optimistic i think I think in large part because the Angel- John Angelus is no longer in charge, and I think that's just a victory in and of itself. Well, you, I think in the sense that, like, the best case, like, you knew, I think every Orioles fan knew if Angelus was still in power for the next five to seven years, you're not re-signing a lot of these awesome stars. No, and, that- and I think that, that had, I think that's a good point, that that had to be the worry, too. The longer that John Angelus was the owner of this team, the less likely the chances, like you said, of, of keeping this core intact beyond the natural lifespan of their yeah. free, free free agency contracts uh, to say nothing of, Oh, and we're also never going to sign an impact free agent ever. Yeah. Um, this at I, least gives you hope that that will not be the case. And again, because you know, this is, this seems like an owner, at least based on the, the very basic facts we have, who would seem to be inclined to put effort and money into making this team good, as opposed to just leaving it status quo. He's walking into the best young talent pool in any we're anywhere in baseball right like baltimore would, has the I best young pa- yeah. talent pool I, I think it's either them or i guess the other option is that technically the dodger well, the dodgers or atlanta i think yeah I, that's a funny thing if you want to rank the, like, the, the orioles are just i mean you're walking into maybe the early astros like you're yeah, walking right in there and i think that more than anything makes me makes me feel optimistic that that this is going to be a good thing for orioles fans yeah that this is someone who's getting in at the right time who ostensibly is doing it for the right reasons um, and who is taking the team away from someone who, again, very clearly did not care yeah. with regards to the Orioles on field performance. So long as the checks kept or so long as the money kept coming in, I think that's all John Angelos cared about um, and running cheap payrolls and never signing free agents. And, and all that is obviously the, the easiest way for him to do that. Um, it, it, I think the, the only thing that if you're an Orioles fan that pisses you off is that John Angelos got everything he wanted here. You yeah. know, he, he walks away with over with almost two billion dollars. 
but that's going to happen uh, with every owner. Like, that's uh, just, yeah, we talked about it. Like, I mean, and you like, sell your I mean, make money. That's just how it's going to be for everybody. Yeah. And like, similarly, like if Artie Moreno had actually gone through with selling yeah. the angels, like, you know, a, an equally moronic despotic owner would have, would have come away, you know, who did they just sign this week? Uh, Aaron Hicks, who then in yeah. his, in his, uh, post-signing presser told, uh, told reporters, the angels are going to surprise people this year, which God bless Aaron Hicks and his optimism, man. But, um, I, I think the only way the Angels are going to surprise is if there's like a murder on the field or something. What was the last good free agent veteran that career kept going in a positive direction when they got to Anaheim? I mean, Brandon Jury was all right last year. Yeah, look, it, it's I, it, I'm not going to be able to come up with a good answer to this because, boy, I don't know if I'm a veteran free agent, I, like hanging on. Like, I mean, it, his is different because he's still got the money, that Yankees money that permit yeah. <laughs> coming in for the next couple well, years. It, so it doesn't matter. Funny, they, but they signed him to the major league minimum because the Yankees are, are on the hook for, I think, like nine million dollars this year. And I, I think two more years. Yeah, I think there's 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 a still at least another year or so to go that, that, that they're paying him. But no, it was 70 for it was seven years for 70 a couple I, years ago. I think that there's probably no team in the majors over the last five to 10 to beyond that yeah. years that has gotten less out of free agency than the, than the, uh, the angels have. That's what I was thinking when I saw the with signing, the, I'm like, with I the like nobody works with the obvious notable exception of uh, Shohei Otani, but that's, that just doesn't like it, that doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> well, I refuse to let that count. Well, speaking of, uh, free agents, John Taylor, yes. Justin Turner, um, Two things I found out with Justin Turner signing uh, with the Toronto Blue Jays this week, formerly of your Boston Red Sox, where he apparently hit 23 dingers last year, which yeah, I would not have guessed. No, I think with Turner, a lot of people just kind of forgot about him because one, he was on a last place team and two, mm. he, he was he was hitting great through the end of July and then he got hurt, but he re, he kept playing anyway. And so his last two months were very poor, but uh, go on. So do you know who the, the Blue Jays starting third baseman is right now? Isaiah Kiner Falefa? That's correct. Did you know oh. Isaiah was the third baseman going into this year for the Blue Jays without looking Look, up? I, like, what? I could not Blue believe Jays, that. I looked at it, I was like, is that right? The Blue Jays have had a very confusing offseason. Yeah. Uh, and I think Turner only continues that to like on, on its own in a vacuum. I it's not that I, I like I hate the signing. Turner is a, a good hitter. He is a fantastic clubhouse presence. He's been a, a noted clubhouse leader with the Dodgers. He was great with the Red Sox. I'm sure he will be a great presence in Toronto. Um, he's one of those guys who is just, just unbelievably smart about the game of baseball, about the way he hits. I think it's similar, I think to JD Martinez. And that's not, that doesn't surprise me particularly given, you know, that they, you know, um, actually have they crossed paths, but they both, you know, they're both the two of the early swing change adopters who became kind of figureheads for that, for the entire launch angle revolution, that these are guys who really, really think about their craft and study it and dedicate themselves to it. And that's, Anytime you can add a guy like that to your clubhouse, to your roster, that's a positive thing, uh, almost regardless of what else they bring. Mm. What is confusing to me about Turner, and, and and I think the price is fine too, one year, $13 million, that's basically what he played for last year in Boston. I, I, I think that makes perfect sense. Um, what's confusing to me is that Turner is the kind of guy you sign after you've added like two or so impact free agents, mm. you know? And Toronto didn't do that. Toronto has not made a move of really any significance this offseason. I, I, we, we know, obviously, they got, uh, they got swerved by Shohei Otani. Uh, they were outbid for Juan Soto. from the, in, uh, the Yankees got him from the Padres instead. They never really seemed to be a player for any of the other major free agents. Either the ones it's almost like they put all their eggs in the Otani basket. 
it, it does feel that way. And it's still strange to me that, for example, Cody Bellinger, who really would make a lot of sense for Toronto, somehow is not a Toronto Blue Jay. Similarly, that a guy like Jordan Montgomery is not a Toronto Blue Jay, I, I find kind of un, uh, confusing. Have you seen their rotation going into next year? It's, I mean, the thing is, the top three is good. It's Gaussman, yeah. it's Gaussman, Rios, Ga- and Bassett. Yeah. And then you say Kikuchi is your fourth starter, I think. Uh, then Alex and- Manoa. I was going to say the questions really begin from there because not only is like right now Alec Manoa is your fifth starter and he was so bad last year to the point yeah. of being demoted twice, but also there's no real there are no real other options or depth behind that. You know, you can we close at, the door on Nate Pearson? <laughs> is this the year? Is is year twenty seven uh, in the Blue Jays system where he's he breaks like, up? He's like one of those dudes is like a red shirt like senior who's in his like eighth year on campus or something. Everyone's mm-hmm. like, why are you still here, man? He's um, twenty seven. Yeah, t- ten stat man. There is no such thing as a pitching prospect. Um, but yeah, it's not just that Manoa is your fifth starter; it's that you look further down the depth chart, and it's guys like Mitch White, Bowden Francis, Wes Parsons, uh, Paolo Espino. Ideally, eventually Ricky Tiedemann. But you know, these are not guys who are ready to contribute now, or guys who I think you really feel at all comfortable about taking major league innings right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, to say nothing of the fact, like you just mentioned, that this team starting third baseman right now is Isaiah Kiner Falefa or Kavan Biggio. One of the two who might have to play second, who might have to play second because or, or they might play Davis Schneider there. Like this infield does not does not feel particularly finished No, And Turner doesn't help them in any capacity there because Justin Turner fundamentally cannot play the field anymore. You know, if, if you're hard to get <laughs> sorry in the in turf, it's, that's what I was going to mention, too, is like having him play. Those games on turf, I, I think, is going to. And this is someone who's always struggled with injury, has never been able to get. Uh, Turner's career high in games played in a season uh, is well. He got he got to 151 in 2021, and before that in 2016. But really, this is a guy you're you're counting more on, like somewhere between like 115 to 140 games, you know, it, it, on an on an average good year. And again, not someone who really has the chops defensively to stand out there anymore. I think at anything really other than first base, which. Granted, you need a backup first base. And I, I will note, Turner's playing time is almost certainly going to, the majority of it's going to come at DH, right? Which I think makes sense anyway. But, you know, this team still needs help at, in the infield. It still needs help in the back of the rotation. I, I you know, there's an argument made. They could still use some help in the bullpen as well. You know, I, I, I don't really understand why, aside from whatever potential financial issues the Blue Jays may or may not be running into, why their major additions this offseason have been Justin Turner and Isaiah Kiner Falefa and uh, uh, who am I forgetting here? Uh, the the other infielder they they've signed. Uh, who was the other one they signed? Uh, oh my God! Why is this? Why am I drawing a blank? Or, or better said, bring, or bringing back Kevin Kiermeyer? Like those. Well, are, he's those in left. Guys. He's going to start in left, right? Uh, he's a starting center fielder. It'll be Dalton Varsho in left. Um, these are Wait, all. Then fine. Who, hold on. Then what's the outfield going to be? Uh, Varsho in left, Kiermeyer in center, George Springer in right. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's okay. I also will note that Turner is a full-time DH makes sense, but this is also a roster where you're going to want to get Vlad Jr. in the DH spot every now and again. You're going to want to get George Springer in the DH spot every now and again. You have two catchers, both of whom ideally you'd like starting in some capacity or not, but to do that, you need to put one of them at the DH spot because neither Alejandro Kirk nor Danny Jansen can play the infield anywhere. Meanwhile, you are still committed right now to something like 700 plate appearances combined at third base from Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, Kavan uh, Biggio, and Santiago Espinal. Mm. That's that's really not good. And look, there is still a chance, I think, and I would not be surprised if it does happen, 
that, for example, the Blue Jays can bring back Matt Chapman. You know, I, I almost expect that because I don't really understand what their plan is here otherwise. But that's the thing, like where Kiermaier, Turner, Kiner Falefa, these are all fine additions on the margins, but they do not solve the issues that the Blue Jays currently face. And yeah. we are running out of offseason for them to do that. And again, while there are still guys available, you know, Matt Chapman's still out there. Cody Bellinger's still out there. Jordan Montgomery's still out there. Like they can still make moves if the price is right. I, I don't really get why there hasn't been more urgency to just get the move done already, unless they've just decided that no matter what, the price range for these guys is not going to be something that they that they want to pay, which I think is it would be, and obviously, again, the offseason's not over, there's still time, but I think it would be a horrible mistake for Toronto to have to have this be the, the Toronto offseason if, if Turner is essentially the final move of this offseason. I think that would be a very poor offseason on aggregate for the Blue Jays, which is why I don't expect it to be the end of the offseason. But again, I'm a little confused by the lack of urgency on their part and a little confused and, and more than a little confused by the, the decision-making at hand here. On happier news, though, your longtime guy, Mr. Buxton, Byron confirmed. Buxton. he confirmed he's back in center field. The man just can't quit it. And the Twins I, can't hit, quit. Uh, I Byron would Buxton. love to believe that. I really, really would. I look there. Aside from Twins fans and and Byron Buxton's family, there might not be a bigger, louder defender of Byron Buxton than me. He is that's true. One of my favorite baseball players in in the league right now. He is an athlete, the likes of which the sport like does not see on a regular basis. Like mm. you know, the kind of dude who is who could have played any sport he wanted professionally. And chose baseball, uh, Georgia high school legend, obviously, along the lines of uh, Austin Meadows and Clint Frazier. Uh, but boy, like I, I just don't see how he does. Like, if anything, the uh, rooting year after year for Buxton to be healthy, and it just, it just won't happen. It's just not going to happen. And I really hope it can for his sake. I, I love Byron Buxton. I really hope it can happen for the Twins' sake. The Twins are a better baseball team when Byron Buxton is cap- is out there on a regular basis, but. This is a guy who who's who is high in games played over the last six seasons is 92. This this is a guy last year who spent who played exactly zero innings in the outfield. Like I I just don't see how it happens. There there it unless and we'll see we'll see in spring training because I'm sure. I'm sure the the narrative in spring training will be the whole Byron Buxton is in the best shape of his life. He's never felt better. He feels healthy. He feels good. It always comes crashing down somehow. Mm. And and it's I, I remember talking to a scout uh, a few years back who said something to the effect of the sixth tool is health. That's a it's a legit tool. It is a legit and it's it, even if it's one that you don't necessarily have as much control over as say you know your your strike zone uh, judgment or your ability to hit for power. It's still something that affects you as a baseball player is whether or not you can stay consistently healthy or whether mm-hmm. or not you're someone who is just prone to injury. And unfortunately, Byron Buxton is a ladder. He is just prone to injury. So I'm very skeptical he'll be able to play anything close to a full or to be a, to be returned as a starter. I think the other question here is for the Twins, what's more valuable to you? 55 games of Byron Buxton in center field sandwiched around whatever injuries he deals with or 100 games of Byron Buxton as a DH sandwich around whatever injuries he has to deal with you know what what is of more use to you and I, I guess if you know some of that depends on on the twins depth chart where looking at it right now their current center field option is if it's not buxton would be 
Nick Gordon, I suppose, which no, you don't want Nick Gordon playing every day. That that does not seem like a good thing. Mm. But on the other hand, how how often are you how how much realistically can you expect from Buxton? Is it realistic to expect him to be a full-time starter? And my my guess is no. Um, or that it's not realistic, rather, that it, it's a pipe dream at this point. And I really want it to be reality. I would love Byron Buxton to be a full-time center fielder again, but I, I just can't see it happening, not after the way the last few years in particular have played out. The whole twins rot like they're number three starter, and we're gonna talk about this in a second. It's now Anthony Descafani because of a trade. They haven't finished the rotation. They it's Pablo I, I mean, I Lopez. Argue, I would argue that well, it's Pablo Lopez, Joe Ryan, Bailey Ober, and then I think four, five, six is some combo of Chris Paddock, Louis Varland, and Anthony Descafani. That's not okay. a super great rotation, but it's not a I think it's solidly middle of the middle of the majors. If Are you big a Bailey Ober guy? I'm a big Bailey Ober guy. That, I think okay. that's that's another part. I'm a big Bailey Ober guy. I, I really he's like six nine. He's a huge dude, uh, but I really mm. I really like his approach. I like his stuff. I like I, I like the he's he's a very stable, dependable option. I feel like, and I think there's mm. also a lot of upside to Joe Ryan that we didn't really see a whole lot of last year for whatever reason. That I I would feel comfortable being. I, I feel a little bullish on the Twins rotation, and I know we're going to get into it, but I think adding Di Scalfani is a good move there anyway because. If there is one issue with the Twins rotation, as you point out, there's not a whole lot of depth behind your top three, um, un unless you're getting a really big jump prospect-wise from uh, Simeon Woods, Richardson, or uh, Brent Hedrick, perhaps. You know, that's. But the, you're, I just you're really kind of I, you know, there's like for me, there's like some teams where you're or like David Festa. Yeah, but like for me, there's some guys where you're like, I would stay all the way away if he's not on one particular team. Like, I just wonder if it was only the Giants for him. Like, that was the only time you could trust somebody like Discofani. And there's just some guys where it's like they move. And you're like, nope, not going to work there. But then they go right back to that spot. And you're like, oh, he's going to work there forever. I will note, though, that the Gi or the Giants, uh, the Twins, rather, seem to have had some really good results. I mean, obviously, they got a great year out of Pablo Lopez. Um, they've done really good work with Joe Ryan. They've done good work with Ober. I, I'm really honestly interested to see what they do with Paddock in mm. his full return to the rotation. Because that was a guy it seemed like the Padres could not figure out how to get the most out of him. So I'm really interested to see what Minnesota does. I liked what I saw of Varland a fair amount last year. Um, you know, it's... Look, I, I, I agree that I think the Twins could stand to do more. Uh, I also just don't expect the Twins to do more, really, ever at this point. Um, another guy where Jordan Montgomery would be an ideal fit for them. Um, mm. But I... At least when it comes to Buxton, though, I, I that just feels like a pipe dream to me. Yeah, I mean... Well, let's get into the other part of this. So Buxton, we'll see. Who knows? We're all rooting for you, Buxton. We, but we were all rooting for you, Byron. He's from a Baxley, Georgia, where I'm very familiar with my home state. I don't know where Baxley, Georgia is. I'm guessing it's like deep red clay country. I mean, it's I just don't know. If, I, I'm assuming it's South Georgia. OK, yeah, it's. It looks like it's by. Appling County. Oh, this is some. I'm getting into 5, some. I'm getting into the weeds here. Okay, southeast. Yeah, it's it's not far from uh, the Macon uh, Brunswick Railroad. Okay, okay, it's on. Yeah, I, I'm really I'm I'm doing a deep dive here. Okay, he's he's from like Savannah, Brunswick. Okay, very South Georgia is what I'm getting at here. So okay, extremely. But I've never heard of Baxley, Georgia before. Byron Buxton, and I was like, I don't know where that is. Um, but the Mariners get Jorge Polanco, Discofani. Yes. $8 million, which is important here because the twins made sure to note we got $8 million for dumping Jorge Polanco that we can invest theoretically back into our team. It, and when you yeah. say that out loud, guess what? They're going to be fans who... 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Jot that down. Um, that we're... They're, they're, keeping, they're keeping notes. Especially, I yes. feel like fan, particularly fan bases like the Twins fan base and the Mariners fan base are just keeping extensive reviews <laughs> on this kind of stuff. As they should. Every fan base should take notes. We love notes on this podcast. Um, I think this is a sneaky great move for the Mariners. Like, hey, yeah, you had to throw some money around. But like Polanco saw some stuff because that was a issue last year. And this is an everyday option. He saw he's not a star, but Jorge Polanco actually is a much needed piece. And it didn't cost a whole lot for the Mariners. And it's I just feel like a TBD for the twins of what they do with this this money that the Mariners sent to them. Yeah, so I, I think I like this actually more for Minnesota than I do for hmm. uh, for Seattle, in large part because I think it, it just makes the move itself. I think Minnesota could afford to make it without really any loss. Like yeah. Blanco's a good player, but they're going to flip second second base almost immediately over to Edward Julian, who is probably a worse defender than Polanco, but probably not by much. And I think it's just a better overall hitter. Um, to say nothing of getting Di Sclafani, who I think is a useful depth piece for them. Uh, on top of being able to get uh, a very good reliever in Justin Topa and two good prospects as well, and Gabriel Gonzalez and Darren Bowen, who I think are going to be guys who have an impact at some point. Maybe not this year, but but probably next year, if not going forward from there. Um, whereas for Seattle, it really all comes down to what Polanco can do for them. And granted, I, I will say Polanco is an immense upgrade on having Josh Rojas or Luis Urias be your regular second baseman. You don't want that. Polanco is better. Uh, I don't think there's any real question about that. And I think, like you said, second base was a hole for the Mariners last year. Um, just looking at uh, overall by our uh, using positional splits, WRC plus Mariners second baseman put up a 75 WRC plus uh, on the year last year. That was 25th in the majors. Only five teams were worse, including the Red Sox. Mm. Um, but one thing I really am interested to see with Polanco as a uh, left-handed hitter, although is he a switch or a, he's, he's a switch hitter. So mm-hmm. whenever he bats from the left side, which will be 75% of the time because he'll want to have that platoon advantage, Seattle is arguably, and I not even arguably, it is the single worst stadium in the majors for left-handed hitters. Hmm. It, it is where left-handed power goes to die because of the marine layer and because of the way the park is put together. That is something I think we need to be really mindful of with with Polanco when if July rolls around and he's rolling a 90 OPS plus and we're all going, what the heck happened to Jorge Polanco? Yeah. Take a look at his home numbers when it comes when it gets to that point, because I think you're going to see something that the Mariners continually run into is that left handed power dies in their stadium. And it's something that they don't really have a solution for. So I will be really interested 
uh, to see what happens with that. But I do think you're right. It does fill a hole for Seattle. I think the other thing with Seattle, and this is more a, a kind of general critique of their offseason as a whole, is it just feels like it's been a lot of flipping, like, it's essentially trading, f- like, four nickels for three dimes. You know what I mean? Or not but that's for, Jerry DePoto, nickels, my man. Uh, we we know that's what Jerry DePoto is going to be doing. It is, but it's like there's there's only so much upside. There's only so much ceiling when you operate like that because mm-hmm. you're always making moves to fill the hole you just opened. Like Polanco's here in large part because they had they got rid of Eugenio Suarez. Mm-hmm. You know, if they didn't get rid of Suarez, they wouldn't have necessarily needed Polanco because they could have just kept Suarez at third base and gone with an Urias Rojas something combination at second base. Similarly, the unwillingness to work on the free agent market and spend for players there, and meaning you're always in this position right, to keep just spinning trades forward, 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 forward. I think just immediately puts you at a, at a disadvantage of just. You you just you can you always are essentially having to rob Peter to pay Paul. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You're always to fill one hole in a roster. You're always opening up another. And I think in getting Polanco, the Twins or the better said, the, or sorry, the Mariners. I don't know that they open any holes up here because I don't think they're necessarily going to miss. Uh, Di Scalfani clearly was not someone who was in their future plans. He was just part of the the Robbie Ray uh, salary dump. It, you know, clearly not a not a not a factor. Similarly, Topa, the Mariners, if anything, have shown an incredible ability to bring up. Uh, to turn anybody they want into like a 250 ERA reliever. I think it's more the prospects in this case and the opportunity cost of having to do that, of having to give up prospects to get a guy who may just end up being a purely league average bat who doesn't really bring anything else to the table. You know, Polanco's not a good defender. He's not a great base runner. You know, his value is purely with uh, at the plate. And again, the fact that he's going to be taking three quarters of his hacks at home from the worst side of the plate to be doing so I think that will make a, and I think that will probably put a dent into his numbers. You might end up with just a league average overall second baseman. You had to give up two prospects for and eight million dollars that could have mm. gone into who knows what else. You know, it could have been part of a bigger deal for something. So I, I, I just hate that overall approach for Seattle. But you're right; that is just the Jerry Depoto way. And so also, I think that's why I like that more for the Twins because as their roster was, they did not need Jorge Polanco. And if you're gonna flip Jorge Polanco, and if you were to look at the Twins roster and be like, okay, what do they need? Well, they need some starting pitching depth. They could use some bullpen help. I'm sure adding to the farm system wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And hey, maybe some money on top of that just to help you know, to help float them or to carve out some space essentially. If you're like, okay, now we have $8 million to play with either during this offseason or that we know we have ahead of the trade deadline is, well, we can afford to take on a big deal if need be because we have this cushion financially. This deal pretty much accomplishes all of that for Minnesota, and I don't think they really take much of a hit, if really one at all, in going from Polanco to, to Edward Julian on a full-time basis. The only thing they're definitely going to have to figure out is a platoon partner for Julian, but that's that, that's something that I think should be easier to, to solve than, than having to find an entirely new second baseman. So um, I like it more for Minnesota than I do for Seattle, I think. You know, I, I think it's a good move for the Twins, and I think it's a necessary move for the Mariners, but necessary because they made it necessary for themselves, if you know what I mean. Hey, the Mariners, they're not going to get work. They're just, they're just hanging out around the edges. They're like, we're going to be an 80-ish win team and hope that we have a lucky it's type just, year. It's, it's constant churn. But the know? rotation's going to be elite, right? I think the rotation could be elite. I think so, too, and I'd be curious to see, too, if the rumors continue that they're in on Blake Snell, which would take that rotation from one of the better ones in the majors to arguably the best one in the majors. Why not? But that also means that, hey, now we're winning every game, like, three to one. But like, that's if you're winning, if you're a Mariners fan, isn't that just all you want? Well, if you're a Mariners fan, you just want to be in the playoffs and win. Yes. But, 
Um, I, that, that's still the thing, though, is you look at this lineup, even with Polanco in there now, it's not a terrible lineup. And I think yeah. there's some good platoon advantages they have, particularly uh, in Luke Rayleigh. I'm assuming there's going to be an Urias Rojas platoon at third base. I'm assuming there's going to be a Rayleigh uh, Dylan Moore platoon in the outfield to some degree. Like, the, you know, they'll, they'll figure this out. But I, I think it's just missing that extra impact bat beyond Julio Rodriguez. Um, and I, and I, I know we talked about this, and it does feel like, like Otani to the Dodgers was just always going to be the outcome. But it still mm-hmm. confuses me why they were not just all in on Shohei Otani and doing everything they possibly could to add him to this roster. Because that really, and granted, he would have been an impact, a difference maker for any team. But in particular for this Mariners team, given where they stood, where this roster is, what this lineup looks like. I, I remain very confused why Seattle wasn't in harder on him. Or maybe they were and they just immediately figured out, oh, it doesn't matter. He wants to be a Dodger. That's that. Which may very well be the case. Um, final thing here, John. We got to end with your Red Sox here on your birthday. Why? Why do you got to do this to me? Well, speaking of why, why do I have to think well, about this team? Why and why not? Why am I? Why do I do this to myself? I don't have to do this anymore. They've won four World Series. Why do I still care? Because you might get a fifth. I might get a fifth. Not not any, not any damn time soon, but I might get a fifth. You might get a fifth. Why and why not, John? The Red Sox should trade Kinley Jansen this offseason. I don't know if there's necessarily a should not beyond because they will be a worse team if they do so. But I don't even know if that's a guarantee because Kenley, Jan- it's not like this is, you know, this isn't peak of his powers. Dodgers, Kenley Jansen. Yeah. This is, uh, how old is Kenley? This is 36 entering his age 37 season. Or, no, it's still going to be his age 36 season. Uh, Kenley Jansen, who, you know, is, is very solidly a good reliever now, but no longer an elite one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know that there's much of an argument to be made for should not, because on the one hand, it's like, okay, well, there'll be a worse team without him. On the other hand, they're already projected to be a last place team. What does it matter if you're more in last place than you were before? Especially given how little the effort has been there this offseason to make this team better, it's kind of hard to argue that it makes sense to hold on to your closer given that anyway. The argument for trading him? Because you want to try to accelerate this point of adding more young impact players to this roster and I think, more importantly to ownership, you want to keep pushing costs down. You want to keep getting payroll down so that, ideally, at some point, you're just below the luxury tax threshold entirely, um, which I, I'm not sure. I, I think the Red Sox are over it. I don't know how much they're over it. I you know, I don't think they've managed to get fully under it last year, even with all their uh, not trying. Um, yeah, I, I, I think at a certain point, and maybe it's just since we are at, you know, it'll be February... Uh, February is, starts on Thursday. Winter or winter uh, spring training starts in about two weeks. The offseason's not over, but it is coming to a close. And while there are still impact free agents out there, it just seems very clear that Boston's ownership has no interest in doing free agency anymore, or in making long-term commitments, or in doing anything other than the minimum amount possible to field a baseball team. So, I, if that's the case, then why why hang on to Kenley Jansen? You know. And I do expect that he will probably be moved at midseason, that by midseason, that he will be, you know, because there are always teams at midseason that are looking for relief help. And I assume if Jansen is healthy and productive, you know, this is even if he's even if he's the best version of himself, this is still going to be a last place team for a variety of reasons. I think, you know, there's not going to be any value he provides going forward. They're not going to make him a a qualifying offer after the season. That would be lunacy. You know, they're not going to get any compensation for him when he walks at the end of the year. You might as well get what you can for him. I mean, if that being the case, then you might as well move him during spring training. And who knows? Maybe the Red Sox 
are keeping an eye out for some team that loses a reliever at some point in spring training or in the early part of the season. And they're immediately ready to jump in to be like, how would you like a lightly used Kenley Jansen? But, you know, I, I have a hard time seeing him be spending the whole season in Boston. It just doesn't really make sense with where this ownership group seems to think this team is in terms of the just the the lack of effort they've put into fielding a competitive team for, for 2024. We shall see, John Taylor. We shall see. Well, that will conclude the birthday edition here on the Take Grass Major League Baseball show yeah, here on the Chase Podcast. Only 365 days till the next one. Or actually, less than that because you'll have a birthday sometime in between now and then. My birthday is a little less than four months away. There April you go. So we'll, we'll, be, we'll be doing this again in four months' time. Another birthday edition. You know, it'd be cool as if it actually ended up falling on the same Wednesday. Let me see here. What is, when is my birthday? John, is we are Wednesday? one day off. Oh. My birthday is on a Thursday this right, year. Then we'll, we'll just do it like President's Day where it's your birthday observed. <laughs> that works, John. That's, that's how we'll handle it. We'll do a midnight show. Just a, We'll do a midnight Wednesday show just for I, you. I You'll... think my girlfriend would leave me if I did that for what it's worth. So Sorry, babe. Got to hop on the, the midnight Chase Thomas pod his birthday um, take the midnight tr- the midnight pod <laughs> to georgia talking jerry depoto at 12 30 a.m on a thursday in april sir look that's what that's what like meg and ben have to do on effectively wild sometimes it's true just talk about jerry depoto at hours that no one should be having to talk about jerry depoto so and i will continue to say there's not a better show to listen on 1.5 or above <laughs> Week in, week out, than uh, Megan Ben on uh, Fangraphs. On I don't. I, don't I still don't understand how you can tolerate hearing people's voices that sped up, but it's fantastic. I, I just, I guess, you have to listen more intently. So I actually feel like I retain more because okay. it requires okay. more, more active and present listening. So I think it's you. You just have to. Your brain works harder. It feels like you're giving your brain a workout, trying to uh, keep up with what the, the back and forth is and retaining information and. Okay. Uh, thinking about stuff so i don't know okay. I, just, I there's, still, just too I, much, there's a lot of content out there folks i still think it would drive me insane but <laughs> I'll, I'll 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 i hear i hear you but i'm the opposite with captions captions i'll end up looking and i feel like i miss stuff because i'm looking at the i'm reading the captions and i'm not watching the scenes as much so captions can get tricky I'm, i don't know if i'm on the same side with captions okay that's fair hmm. john taylor always yeah. a pleasure Happy birthday once again, my friend, and too many more. And I will talk to you again next week. Sounds good. All right, we're back here on the Chase House Podcast, where I'm joined by a first-timer on this very program. We got Grant Cohn of all 49ers here. Grant, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Chase? Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I mean, look, I am I'm very curious because you've obviously got to watch a lot of winning over the years of the Kyle Shanahan era as someone who very much misses Kyle Shanahan each and every day here in Atlanta. Um, you've gotten to see a lot and you've gotten to see them make the Super Bowl, which feels like forever ago um, now, but they finally make it back. They've still been contenders year in, year out. They just haven't really wavered. They've had some, some slogs, some injury riddled season, stuff like that, some weird quarterback stuff. But by and large, this has just been a juggernaut for for years now. And yet they're the number one seed in the NFC this year. They have their backs against the wall twice and respond both times in unbelievable fashion in a lot of ways, even as the home team and the favorite. 
With all that being said, Grant, though, are you surprised that the Niners are once again in the Super Bowl at this point? Am I surprised that they're in the Super Bowl? No, I Mm -hmm. think they're clearly the best team in the NFC. The NFC seems a lot weaker than the AFC. So, yeah, they've been sort of the consensus best team in the league all year. Um, You called them a juggernaut, and they've been that for the last few years. Yes and no. I mean, they've been extremely Mm. consistent, and they've made it very far. But what's interesting about this group that they've kept together, they've been running it back. They haven't won the Super Bowl yet. Mm. And they're they're one-point favorites this year. If they do, it'll validate the entire era. But if they yeah. don't, I mean, it won't invalidate specific players. But you look at Kyle Shanahan like, man, are you ever, ever going to get over the hump? Like, excellent coach. But when's it going to happen? So I, there's a lot in the line for him. Yeah. Well, it's funny. And the reason I say juggernaut is like, look, you, it's so easy to overlook. Like, you see what happened to the Eagles. They lose Super Bowl. Things go awry. They lose a lot of top assistants. Things just get a little murky very quickly. And now it's uh, they have to be super aggressive and replacing those assistants to save jobs. And suddenly the team that was, quote unquote, built to last and they were the preseason favorites. It's easy to overlook that the Eagles were the preseason. Like everyone just assumed the Eagles were just going to run this back and they were going to be fine with their MVP level quarterback, the A.J. Brown and company, that this was just going to be smooth sailing for the next couple of years. We just do this with teams. The Rams, obviously, they go all in. They put sh- their chips in. But it's been a slog ever since winning the Super Bowl. And hey, it was worth it. You won a Super Bowl. It's all worth it. But the Niners have won 13 games in 2019. They had that one blip in 2020. But it's 2020, and I just throw a lot of that stuff out there. Six and 10. 10 wins in 2021. 13 in 2022. 12 in 2023. I mean, that's just a whole lot of winning. And yet you have two Super Bowls now to show for it during this five-year run. And look, Kyle Shanahan, out of all, it's had to be like very frustrating for him to see like all of his peers and all like his tree, which is the best tree in the NFL right now, all have varying degrees of success. And he just hasn't gotten over that final hump. And yet here he is back. So I just, when I say juggernaut, I just feel like Shanahan deserves a lot more credit for keeping this thing humming, even with bringing in different defensive coordinators, even with his staff being picked apart year over year. I think he deserves a lot of credit for keeping this thing running because I think far more often than not, these things crumble after the Super Bowl loss they had years ago. Yeah, like he's not at the mercy of his coordinators like yes. Sirianni. Sirianni, you lost Steichen, you lost Gannon, you lost mm. over for you. You had nothing left. Kyle's never been in that position because he's his own offensive coordinator. and. He has a great eye for defensive coordinator talent. Now, hmm. now, if they lose the Super Bowl and the Chiefs go off, a lot of Niner fans might want them to replace Steve Wilkes. Like he's been hot and cold. He started off the hmm. season well, then they he had such a a down stretch that they yanked him out of the coach's booth and made him stand on the sideline. Like that was gonna improve things. Hmm. Now the defense hadn't hit a little bit of a lull the last couple of months, and it's like. Maybe he should go back up to the coach's booth. So, yeah, no, I, I keep like verging into the negative. Kyle's doing mm. a great job. He's one of the most, like, what coach has has achieved more consistent six than him? Andy Reid mm. with Patrick Mahomes. And that's it. So, and that's who he's playing against. He has the makings of a Hall of Fame resume, but ultimately mm. no one will remember or care in 10 years if he doesn't get the hardware to validate it all. That's why this game is great. And you could also make the case that like doing it with Jimmy Garoppolo, Brock Purdy, the Trey Lance thing, most franchises 
implode over this, over missing when you take that big of a swing and trade up and use that many picks. They haven't missed a beat. They just turned Mr. Irrelevant into a Super Bowl quarterback. Like, I think that's another part of it. I mean, for you, though, who've seen the beginning and uh, the current iteration of Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, what do you think specifically this year he's in an area that he's grown? Maybe as a play caller, as a coach, as just a CEO type? Like, where has Shanahan grown the most in 2023, 2024? That's to be determined. I mean, hmm. I guess in the last two playoff games, he had to come from behind. So yeah. he was able to make adjustments during the game. He was able to um, win in a different way, win in ways that he hasn't proven he can win. So I guess those would be the ones. Um, he really melted down against the Ravens on Christmas. Mm. That felt like... A, so I, he has a lot to prove. Like, he was cruising in 2019, right? He made it look real easy in the NFC Championship game. He looked at made it me made it look real easy for three quarters against the Chiefs, and then it all fell apart. So mm -hmm. he's still like the guy that you have to see him cross the finish line. It's tough to give him too much props. Already. I feel like he's accomplished everything you could possibly accomplish as a coach, other than win a Super Bowl. What has he yeah. not done? He has the tree. He's got the offense. He's got it all except the ring, and that's a big one. It's a real big one. And I'm not sure he's going to get it this year, Chase. Well, we're going to get into that because I think right now I'm still leaning the Niners. And you just want the bites of the apple, right? Like Michigan, they get people just love to clown on Michigan before their national title. Like Jim Harbaugh, he's not going to win it. Michigan this, Michigan that. And then he finally does it. Like there's something you said about being in that position over and over again. Sports are funny like that. You just put yourself in a position to be in the Super Bowl twice in five years. Guess what? More likely than not, you're not going to be the Bills. You're not going to go 0 for, 0 for 4, 0 for 3. Like it's just that's rare. You're not going to do that. You put yourself in there multiple times, you're going to feel good. That means you're one of the two best. You have a reason to being there. You're the number one seed in the NFC. Like the Niners should be right there. I just look, wonder, and this goes back to your Wilkes thing about in the booth without uh, in hiring well for Shanahan. Could that end up being the reason they don't win it this year is because the Wilkes defensive coordinator hire may end up just burying this team and this run of just i mean this collection of health too like they they're gonna get two weeks of health with debo to see where he's at christian mccaffrey's been i mean unbelievably healthy for the most part in san francisco your quarterbacks are healthy um you have a i mean i just i wonder if that's it is that something that you've got circled of like is this the steve wilkes just conundrum going into the this matchup with well, Patrick i don't put it all on steve wilkes but the defense is an issue they gave up 31 to detroit mm. 33 to baltimore 29 to Arizona. This is in the last month and a half. And in yeah. each of these games, they got gouged on the ground. So what's going to happen now that they face Kansas City? Go back and watch that game that they played against Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. Like Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon and Jamar Chase made that look so, so, so easy. And yeah, the Niners have added Chase Young since then, but Chase Young has done absolutely nothing. Um, So... This defense has a lot to prove. Can you stop Pacheco? You couldn't stop David Montgomery. Yeah. You know what I mean? We couldn't really stop. Aaron Jones had a great game. And like the Packers were able to like, is that something when you look at the Packers and what the Packers did to carve up the Niners versus what the Lions did in the first half? Was there one theme or was it just two di completely different ways of carving up this Niners defense? What they did was they went heavy personnel, two tight ends, six offensive linemen. And Steve Wilkes, the Lions, counter. the Lions. Yeah. And, and and so like Steve Wilkes, the Niners use this wide nine defense. 
Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's, it's basically built to be, you know, it's built for when you have a lead, mm-hmm. you're, you're teeing off on a team that's trying to come from behind. But when they put two tight ends out there, now you widen out the wide nine defense. You wide, it's like, there's all this space between these players and David Montgomery looked like freaking LaDainian Tomlinson. That's what happened. So what's going to happen when, so when these teams faced each other four years ago, it was a totally different matchup. It was Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, um, and the running back was Damian Williams. Mm-hmm. Now, like, it's a – the Chiefs' offense is defined by their offensive line mm-hmm. and their running back. Obviously, Travis Kelsey, but they use – they're more like the Lions now. They, yeah. I think they figured out, okay, so we have Tyreek Hill teams, and we have Patrick Mahomes. Teams are going to play two deep safeties all day. They're mm-hmm. going to take away the deep stuff. So it almost defeats the purpose to have Tyreek Hill in the first place. Well, what should we going to do? What should we do? Run the ball. Because no team ever is going to load the box against Patrick Mahomes ever, no matter what. So, yeah. so run the freaking ball, commit to it, get a, a powerful runner, get some tight ends. You're going to have light boxes all day. And you put, they put teams in this conundrum. Rasheed Rice is kind of like their new Juju Smith Schuster, just a slot mm-hmm. receiver who gets yards after the catch. They're, they're not necessarily a big offense anymore. Although if you do load the box, they can throw it deep to Marquez Valdez Scantling, who may or may not catch it. Mm-hmm. May or may not catch it, but for some but reason still, he catches I mean, them in the playoffs right now. Yeah, so I mean, they're they're still a really good offense. They're not as good as they used to be, but it complements their elite defense. It's a whole different Chiefs team, but they are the defending champions. People seem to forget that. Mm-hmm. They are the defending champs, but this Niners team, like, if is this, are they playing with fire? Where you look at it and you're like, if the Chiefs get up seventeen three or something that the the Niners won't be able to do what they've done the last two weeks that they're not going to the Chiefs are not the team that they can do that that we'll know early on which way this is going the Niners need to be up they it matters far more for the Niners to start strong well look the, the fact that the Niners could come from behind against Green Bay and Detroit is terrific I mean mm-hmm. you had to do it wonderful but we wouldn't say those teams have good defenses yeah they're okay maybe subpar probably Lions better Chiefs than the Packers. Have, Packers definitely not. Yeah, the Chiefs have a legit, legit, legit defense. They're the number two defense mm. in the league. Um, so we saw what they just did to Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was he looked awful. Yeah. What are we gonna do to Brock Purdy? I, if the Niners don't have a balanced game plan, they can make it look real bad. I just, I'm very curious how it all unfolds. Like, I just. I think it's a better matchup than people think. I don't like they think most people are going to pick the Chiefs over the next two weeks. I think everybody's going to go the Chiefs route. I'm not a, going back to backs hard. This Niners team still really good. This defense can still come and give Patrick Mahomes and company a lot of problems. I think the tight end stuff. We'll see if what kind of game Kelsey has, but this is not the same Travis Kelsey of years past, even though he he carved up Baltimore. I don't know. I my gut still leans san francisco right now and part of that is like are we in the don't count out brock purdy mode like are are you enjoying the are we sure brock purdy's ever out of a game in the second half like there's just something to this kid would you say he's a gamer grant that he's uh he he's just a man the dude's a winner i don't know if you've heard this one or not brock purdy man he's uh he's a winner what what do you make about brock mania um he sure is fortunate (laughs) He's really good. Is he is he a winner? Look, 
it's in the eye of the beholder. How well did he play the last two games? He came from behind. Mm-hmm. He threw a pick against the Lions. He threw a, two other passes that got dropped by the Lions. He, two, he threw two passes that got dropped by the Packers. I know every quarterback does that. But, man, it seems like this guy just gets so lucky all the time. Mm-hmm. And even with all that luck, his quarterback rating against the Packers was like 86, and against the Lions, it was 89. So, mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I mean... I take him over Jordan Love. He really crapped the bed at the end of that game. And I take him over Jared Goff, who is a statue and a game manager. Like, I like Brock Purdy because he's he's mobile. Mm-hmm. He he like, he's not a game manager. He takes too many risks to be a game yeah. manager. He he's a, he's a game changer. He's a gunslinger. Um, you kind of just have to rein him in a little bit because it's like he has the right idea. He believes in himself. He has all the confidence in the world, but he's still twenty four, and it's still like. You haven't seen it all, man. Like you're gonna make mm-hmm. some mistakes that could jeopardize the whole thing. So you're growing. One day you could be the guy who throws 55 times in a game and wins. But right now, like let's keep you at 25. Let's just keep you at 25 and lean on Christian McCaffrey while he's in his prime. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how Tom Brady played when he was young. Is it surprising that he's become the Shanahan favorite? Like with how different he is than what Jimmy was. Well. In terms of how they throw the ball, it's not that different. Hmm. But in terms of like once the third first read isn't there, it's a whole lot different. Because Jimmy gave you yeah. nothing after the first read. He couldn't find the second read. Didn't seem like he'd done his homework. Couldn't move. And he it was not just mobile either. Like Brock. Mm-hmm. Brock, all of a sudden, like if the first read isn't there, almost like maybe a, a better play going to happen after that that he creates on his own. And I think mm-hmm. Kyle Sandingham needs that. A lot of offensive geniuses think they don't. That their scheme is so great that they just need a quarterback who can execute. But with that offensive line that the Niners have, they don't really invest in it outside of Trent Williams. You mm-hmm. need a quarterback who can sort of escape pressure, make plays a few times a game, not consistently. Like, you're not asking me Josh Allen or Cam Newton and his young Cam Newton just completely overcome a terrible scheme. No, no, no. But you need to make a, a few plays, and man, he can do that. Where are you leaning right now? We'll end on this. Do you think the Niners, like, you don't have to give your official, but like, do you think this will? This is a big one. And also, does Shanahan Sneaky need this? Or like you have real questions about how the 49ers handled this offseason if they go over two against the Chiefs here in five years. I think he needs it. I mean, he's not gonna mm-hmm. get fired, but the if he wins this, he's a made man, future Hall yeah. of Famer. Like n- nothing you can say about him. If he loses this, there's a whole lot you can say about him. Like, yeah. is he ever gonna win? Does he have a limit? So he needs it. It's just I think Niner fans are looking like, hey, you know, this Chiefs team isn't isn't what they were four years ago. The Niners got this. Well, their defense is really, really good. Mm. And this offense put up 44 on the Niners last year. People don't remember that, but that was like October 2022. They came to Levi's and put up 44. Mm. Easy. And that was, you know, with Pacheco and Juju and Valdez Scantling. Like Valdez Scantling went for 100 plus and Juju went for it. Kills. It was so, they, they averaged nine yards a play. Mm. So, leaning leaning towards the defending champion but you can't write the Niners off it was so easy to pick the Niners for me four years ago yeah to pick against them it's like Jimmy's not winning this game no but he was a throwaway he, yeah yeah <laughs> Jimmy's always a throwaway but Brock it's not it's and like I'm not writing Brock off Brock does incredible things he makes he had a 51 yard throw that hit a guy that hit a defender in the face only Brock. Yeah. Only Brock. So I, I, 
I'm being very careful here. I don't know yet, but I'm leaning towards Casey. I also just love like this is the two best offensive minds in the sport, like finishing this thing off and like the differences between the both teams. And I mean, it's, it's going to be a very different look Casey team. And what is Kyle scheme up two weeks uh, ahead of this defense? Like I just I'm very curious because if they get up, I think you feel good if you're a Niners fan. Like if the Niners are up 10-3 after one or 17-6 or something at the half, like that's the game the Niners need. I don't know if they're going to be able, like you're if you're a Niners fan and, and Chiefs get off to a hot start like they did against Baltimore, I just don't think this defense is going to allow the Niners to make it back. Like the Lions and the Packers defense is not what Casey has been all year long. So I think if they dig themselves a third straight hole, I just, I think it's lights out. I don't think you're going to be able to overcome it with this Chiefs defense. Yeah, and I, I, I'll keep going back to the Niners defense. How are they going to do against Mahomes? They really struggled against Burrow. Yeah. They really struggled against Kirk Cousins. They really struggled against Lamar Jackson. This guy's better than all of them. Mm-hmm. So you've never beaten them before. You do a terrible job of containing mobile quarterbacks. You play this wide nine defense, which gives up all these scramble lanes. He takes them. Mm. I don't know, man. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to find a reason to pick the Niners, and I have a week and a half more to find that. All right. I love it. Well, speaking of the week and a half before this game happens, what can the good folks check out from you all across the internet and your 49ers coverage this week, Grant? Well, I, I'll i be at the 49ers facility the next two days. Thursday, Friday, they have practice, and some players will speak at the podium. I'll be there. Saturday, Sunday, I'll be packing and mentally preparing, but streaming as well. Mm-hmm. And then Monday, I fly down, do the whole Super Bowl week which is a freaking zoo, but it's also a once in a lifetime thing. I, who knows if I'll never ever cover another one. So I'll be there. It'll be interesting Vegas for, you know, way more time than you need. And uh, then the game's on Sunday. It'll be fun. Are you in the Dorito building for your hotel stay? The chip no, building? No, okay. no, no. I'm not going to say where I am. Cause I have so many stalkers out there, but um, the NFL, it like puts a block of rooms, reserves yeah. a block of rooms for. Yeah. So. Okay. I like yeah. it. Well, Grant, it, it, be careful out there. Enjoy your time. And uh, well, I'm excited to see how it goes. But thank you for the time. And uh, we'll have to check back in again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Grant. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 